0: Good morning, Life Church Livonia. I'm so happy to be with all of you this morning and hope that you're enjoying your summer, that you're getting out in the sunshine, that you're getting some moments of rest. My name is Marcy Rahill, and I'm super happy to be able to share God's Word with you today as we dive together into Psalm 139. If I were to ask you the question, what was your favorite childhood game? I'd love to be able to hear feedback. Put it in the comments below because that would be really fun to hear from each other. What was your favorite childhood game? Well, I have the privilege at this stage of my life of playing a lot of those childhood games again because I live near all of my grandchildren and I'm so, so grateful for that. I get to see them every week, sometimes many times a week. And my oldest two grandchildren, Lily and Nora, love to play the game hide and seek. Here's Lily and Nora. Lily's four and a half and Nora's two. But when Lily was about three and a half and Nora was just one, She had this favorite spot in our house where she always wanted to hide. And it was behind this blue couch in our living room. And she said, Grandma, let's play hide and seek. I'm gonna go hide and you count to 10. So she'd jump, she'd run to the living room. Of course, I knew where she was going. It was always the same spot. (laughs) And she'd jump over the couch and hide in this little spot behind the blue couch. And I'd be holding Nora and I would count one, two, three, four, and I'd get to 10. Where's Lily? are you in the living room? No. Are you in the dining room? No. Are you in the kitchen? No. We go through all these rooms in the house. I walk into living room and I'd say, is Lily in the living room? And I'd hear this giggle and she could hardly stand the anticipation. And she'd jump out and say, here I am, here I am. And she would just love it and say, let's do it again. So Nora grew up with a lot of being a seeker with me for hide and seek. Well, about six months later, one day, Lily and Nora and I are playing upstairs in our house in Lily's room. And Nora's got a little room kind of right next to that, playing with a bunch of toys. And Nora walked out of the room and suddenly it got very quiet. And you know when it gets quiet and a toddler is not in your sight, you probably should check on her and see what's going on. So I walk out of the room and I walked into Nora's room. She's not there. I saw my husband's office door was propped open, which was a little unusual. And they never go in there, but I propped the office door open. She's not in there. I looked in our room. I looked in the bathroom. That's it. Like, that's the whole upstairs, right? I'm thinking, did she get on those stairs? Like, she can do stairs. But I didn't hear her get on the stairs. So I get on the stairs. And I'm thinking, oh, surely she's down here. And I'm looking through the whole house, every room in our first floor of our house. No Nora. And I'm hollering, Nora! Nora, answer grandma! Nora, answer grandma, I'm so worried. My heart's racing, my breathing's racing. I'm thinking, what am I gonna tell my children I lost their daughter? What if she's hurt somewhere? Why can't she answer me? Something must be wrong. I'm hollering, Lily, please help me look for Nora and trying to stay calm so Lily's not gonna get panicked. And I'm thinking, what is going on and where is Nora? And then I hear Lily say, Grandma, I found her. And I go running upstairs and here's Nora in my husband's office. Lily opened the closet and she's standing there proud as can be because she won the game of hide and seek. And she had this big, delighted smile on her face. I scooped that little girl in my arms so fast and I held her so tight and I had to let my heart slow down and my breathing calm down. And I realized she wasn't hurt. She was just hiding. She was playing hide-and-seek. But she didn't giggle and give herself away like her big sister did. She changed the rules. She knew that to be a winner at hide-and-seek, she should be quiet. You see, my granddaughter, who I love so, so much, was lost. At least in my mind, she was lost. But she knew where she was. It's me that didn't know where she was. She wasn't in my sight. She wasn't in my presence. And my heart was just breaking with the separation that I felt from her and the fear that I had. My limitations of not knowing where she was and not being able to help her and keep her safe almost gave me a heart attack. I think I almost had a heart attack that day. But you see, Nora, she wasn't scared. She wasn't scared at all. She knew that I was close by. She knew that I loved her and I would keep looking for her until I found her. She felt joyful, and she felt safe because of my commitment to find her and my presence with her doing that over and over again all those times that we hunted for her sister. She knew that Grandma wouldn't quit and that I was close by, and that brought her so much delight, and she was never fearful. She had full confidence in my love, and she enjoyed playing that game with me. In Psalm 139, David paints this beautiful picture for us of God's constant presence with us and his deep, intimate knowledge of who each of us are. Unlike me, God always knows where we are. In fact, he's always with us. He knows us actually even more intimately than we know ourselves. It's a deep, intimate knowing. And that, like Nora, should bring us delight, And it should bring us joy that this pursuing love of God is always with us. Would you pray with me this morning before we dive into the scripture of Psalm 139? Let's do that. Loving and mighty and gracious God, we're grateful to be here this morning together, Lord, and we believe that whether through our sermon and saying your word, through singing praises, Lord, through having community and fellowship with one another, we believe, Lord, that you are going to meet us here today. You long to meet with us. You long to reveal your love. You so delight, Lord, in encouraging us. Open our hearts today, Lord, to hear your truth, to respond to your love. And Lord, allow let us allow you, Lord, to break through any barriers that we may have in our hearts that we're coming into this morning between you and i lord help us to break through those things lord may my words be less and your words be more we ask all these things in the powerful name of jesus amen okay psalm 139 some of you may be familiar with it it is a fan favorite Um, But it may be new for a lot of you, and I'm excited to introduce you to it. So it has four stanzas. Alex has talked a lot about the poetry of Psalms. Well, Psalm 139 has four stanzas to it. And I think today we're just going to tackle them one stanza at a time. Okay? So the first six verses say this. You can read along with me on the screen. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. If I were to give this stanza a title, the title that I would give this group of Scripture verses is, You Know Me. It's interesting when you read that and you look at all the words that talk about God's posture toward us. Let's go back and look at that Scripture again and look at all the words about God's posture toward us. He says in verse 1, You have searched me. You have searched me. This isn't saying you're searching for me like I was searching for Noah, God knows where we are. He's already aware. He has searched. He has searched the depths of our soul. There's nothing new that he needs to uncover. And then he says in the end of verse 1, And you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. This kind of knowing is this intimate knowledge of knowing. The message version, (coughs) excuse me, the Bible says, I'm an open book to you. It's that barrenness, that openness, that God, you know everything about me. And he says in verse two, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You perceive. This is, you know what I'm thinking, Lord. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. Verse three says, you discern my going out and my lying down. Discerning is a searching out. God searches out our path. He knows when we leave. He knows when we get back. When he sees us travel and we rest at home, he's always, always with us. In fact, verse 3 says he's familiar with all of our ways. He knows everything. He's well acquainted with all of our ways. Verse 4 says, before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely, completely. You know everything. Before I even start to say it, Lord, you already know what I'm going to say. I wish sometimes that I knew what I was going to say before I started to say it, and I might stop myself from some mistakes, right? You, God, know all of it. All of it. In verse 5, I love this. God's pastor toward us as you hem me in, behind and before. What does this idea of hem me in mean? Well, if you've ever sown... Or if you wear clothes, you know that in the bottom of a fabric, fabric, there's this hem where the fabric is turned up. It's folded over, and it's turned up. And the purpose of hemming in is this, to keep from unraveling, to keep from fraying, to keep from losing shape, to keep from falling apart. And this knowing of God, it hems us in. It protects us. God wants to keep us from fraying. He wants to keep our lives from unraveling. He wants to keep us from falling apart. And how does he do that? He goes before us and he comes behind us. There's nowhere that we can go that he hasn't always already been and that is not going to be. He is ahead of us. And then he says in verse five, you lay your hand upon me. Think of that blessing of God laying his hand upon us. Think of a parent laying their hand, their child and why do they do that to guide and direct and protect their kids that's what God's laying of his hands on us is to guide and protect us so let's look again at these words of how God his posture that he holds toward this knowing of us he searched know perceive discern familiar completely Behind, before, upon. When David considers this kind of intimacy with God, he's overwhelmed. He says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's so lofty, I can't even attain it. David is, he can't take it in how amazing this is that God knows him and loves him so deeply that there's nowhere he can go from his presence. <coughs> Excuse me. It's too wonderful. David describes how God knows us inwardly and outwardly, how we are open and bare before him. And he says, this is awesome. This is wonderful. How does it make you feel to be open and bare before God? Like David, do you feel grateful? Do you feel free? Do you feel secure? Or maybe you feel insecure. Or fearful or full of shame David says that we should be overwhelmed with the height and depth and breadth of God's love for us and his knowledge of us so much so that he says we're not even equal to it he's grateful so how and why does David say this is wonderful this open bareness before God this deep vulnerability doesn't he feel pain Or shame or fear because I'll tell you David's done some pretty horrific things in his life and we've talked about that through the study of the Psalms he has a lot of selfishness and lust and adultery and murderous thoughts and plans and actually actions of committing murder and yet David who has this very horrific past of his actions says this is wonderful this knowledge that God knows all this about me is wonderful. Why? It's because David has a correct knowledge and image of God. We see all through the Psalms, many of which he's written, many of which other people have written, um, that we've been studying this summer, how much David and others knew and believed and experienced. They knew, believed, and experienced to be true about God. And here's a short list, and it's not all that short. But they knew and believed that God exists and that He's real, that God is good, that God is present and loving, that we are fully known and fully loved, that God is at work and He is moving, that God is available to everyone. That God is all-powerful, that God is patient, that God is gracious, that he is kind, that he is tender and gentle, that God is long-suffering, that God wants to reveal himself to us, that God enjoys us, that God initiates and pursues us, that God loves justice and then you partner that with his love And the result is the sending of Jesus to take the judgment and the penalty for our sins. So there is no need for shame because God loves justice. And God is not put off by our brokenness and our humanity and our sin. This is why David over and over through scripture is able to be so free and so honest and so open with God about his struggles, his fears, his laments, his sin, his disappointments, and his doubts. David has been completely humbled before God when his sin was exposed to him of adultery and murder, and seeing that sin against the backdrop of God's righteousness and goodness and all the beautiful things on this list, and David that produced this humble and repentant response to God. He got to experience God as he looked at his sin and shame, and rather than receive God's judgment, he humbled himself, repented, and received God's grace and forgiveness. What a safe place to be. Throughout his life, David sought after God regarding what he knew to be true, right? And then he acted on that truth with this beautiful seeking heart, and then he experienced God's grace and his forgiveness and his provision and his protection. Knowing this list of truths about this character and this image of God, think about what is our character? What do we think the character of God is? How do we see this image of God? Is it like this list that we're looking at this morning? Once we can know that and seek after it, that's when we begin to experience the truth of these things, and like David, then have this wonderfulness of being so intimately known by God. So what forms our image of God? A lot of things form our image of God, right? For me, as a child, I grew up in a church culture that did a really great job of teaching and showing me a lot about the love of Christ, and I'm so grateful for that. But I will say that it was also, unfortunately, a place that really excelled in this whole area of judgment, this category of judgment. Sin tended to be a stronger focus than grace. I saw people rejected by the church time and time again because they made sinful choices and were now identified by that. In fact, this scarlet letter on their chest became their identity more than the blood of Christ that poured over all of them. A group in a culture where performance was pretty critical, and maybe that's a generational thing, but it was also part of church culture at that time. And and doing what's right not necessarily out of love for God, but really ultimately out of fear of judgment. I remember thinking as a child that God and Santa Claus—they're kind of a lot alike. <laughs> you know, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not fall. Yeah, that's kind of that kind of messed up my image of God a little bit because you know what? I can't see either one of them, but they both can see me. And what they see is going to determine whether I get coal or presents, whether I get blessings or curses, whether I get love or condemnation. Somehow this thought of God seeing me and knowing me um, made me feel pretty vulnerable. I thought, what about um, my sin? What about if I blow it? It just kind of made me want to hide. And what would God do? if he knew my doubts or my concerns or my fears. And I'm grateful that over years and years and years, God has willingly listened to my doubts and my fears and my concerns and has made himself known to me through his love that is much larger than his judgment, that embraces the gift of Jesus, that changes everything. Verses 1 through 6, this theme was, You Know Me. Let's look at verses 7 through 12 together. David says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, Surely the darkness will hide me, and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Because God is light, right? I would say the theme of this stanza, we start with you, God, you know me, is you are with me. This, these verses, 7 through 12, are you are with me. Commentator Warren Wearsby, one of my favorites, says this. And let me just read this to you. He says, God is with us constantly. We cannot escape him. If God knows so much about us, perhaps the wisest thing to do is to run away and hide. But all escape routes are futile. If we go up to heaven or down to Sheol, the realm of the dead, God is there. If we travel the speed of light to the east or the west, his hand will catch us and tenderly lead us. We cannot hide even in the darkness, for to the Lord, the darkness is as light. God wants us to walk, what God wants to walk with us and to guide us, because his plan for us is the very best. Why should we want to run away and hide? Adam and Eve tried it and they failed in Genesis, right? The Israelites tried it, the prophet Jonah tried it. And that only went from bad to worse for all of them. (coughs) We see this pattern over and over again in Scripture of running in disobedience, constantly leading to destruction. We need God's presence with us. If we want to enjoy His love and fulfill His purposes. Scripture is filled with promises about the presence of God. Isaiah 43 says, But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who created you, everybody out there, he who formed you, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Wow, what awesome promises. Are you in a fire? Are you drowning in the rivers? God is with you. Even the darkness of death itself can't keep us from God. We see in Psalm 23, which we studied together this summer, he says in verse 4, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And Jesus himself, before returning to God in heaven, after his crucifixion and then resurrection, one of the last things he says to his disciples is this in Matthew 28, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There's nothing that can separate us from the presence of God, not even in our darkest moments. There's a deep comfort in that. There is freedom in God's knowing of us and in his presence with us. There is freedom in God's knowing of us and in his presence with us. On Mother's Day, when I preached about identity in Christ, we looked at this next part of Psalm 139. So let's look at this together again, verses 13 to 18. It says this, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's room. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Thinking more deeply here about God's knowing, I would say the theme of this stanza is, He knew me before I knew me. You, God, knew me before I knew me. You loved me from the very beginning. At the moment of conception, God was present. When I was pregnant with my four kids, all four of them, I meditated a lot on this psalm and, and just realized that I was this partner with God in this like miracle that in my body, he was weaving together this little life that was such a miracle that only he could do. If you've ever witnessed a birth, okay, side note, one of my favorite TV shows called The Midwife. On Netflix. Gotta watch it. You see a live birth at least once in every single show. And every time I'm crying, I'm thinking, this is so awesome! This beautiful miracle of God. When you get a glimpse of that, this amazing miracle that God has been busy making these babies, knitting each life together before we lay our eyes on them. Eugene Peterson says that in the presence of birth, we don't calculate, we marvel. I had a long, difficult delivery with Alex, your pastor, and uh, the next morning after the doctor came into my room, I said, oh my gosh, that was so awesome. I would do it all over again, and he looked at me with this kind of like amazement and surprise and considering all the challenges we had, in this very long, difficult delivery, and he said, and he said, that's amazing, and I said, but it's a miracle, and he smiled. This doctor had delivered, I don't know, hundreds, maybe thousands of babies. He was the older guy. And he said, it's a miracle every time. You are a miracle formed by the hand of God in his image. David says we were not hidden. God was there. He knew you before you knew you. He knew you before your parents knew you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Do we believe that? Do we believe that God can work out his purposes in our bodies in spite of all the discontentment that we may have with them? Do we believe that God made our bodies exactly as they need to be for his purposes? I think even in disease and physical handicap and struggles, God can work his purposes in beautiful and powerful ways. I have seen it over and over and over again believing that he formed us and he wants us to be, and as as he wants us to be, and accepting that and not being critical of our lives, that's what's going to help us live fully into God's purposes. Now, I was in college. Um, one of my friends was a teacher's assistant for anatomy and physiology class, and one night um, after Bible study, we all went down to the a lab where he taught all these students. This where these cadavers were, right? These bodies donated to science to teach students about the human body for his anatomy class. And so he took us down, and he. I remember him moving the sheets back and showing us this one person's body and um, and the hands. We spent a lot of time looking at the hands. And how intricate these hands were. Every muscle, every tendon, every sinew, every bone, all the flesh. It has to like wind so perfectly over this, under that, around that, to make our hands move as complicated and complexly that they do. Only God can do that. I couldn't help but just think about Psalm 139, that only God can do that, this beautiful miracle. And then he says in verse 17 and 18, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I were to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. He uses this beautiful adjective of precious. Precious means great value, not wasted or treated carelessly, but beloved. That's how God feels about you and about me. Wow. God knows everything about us. He knows us better than ourselves. He's always with us. For him to think so deeply and belovedly about us i have to wonder what could be better than that you know fully known fully loved our that's our greatest human need you could read every psychology book take a class you'll hear the same thing over and over our greatest human need is to be fully known and fully loved and i believe that god planted that in us when he was weaving us together in our mother's womb because he knew that he was the answer. His love was the answer, and his presence was the answer to meeting that need. He sees us. He loves us. He knows us. He's with us. In the end, in verses 18 through 22, David pours out his heart before God. He shifts from his focus on God to his focus on his own heart. I'm not going to go through all of that right now for the sake of time, but I'll tell you, he pours out this anger and frustration and hatred that he has for wicked people that are against God, this righteous anger. But you know what? He knew he could tell God exactly how he felt, that he could safely pour out his heart before God because God already knows. And David had peace and freedom in that. And he—and God knew his hatred for sin. And then he asked God in verses 23 and 24, Search me, God, and know my heart test me and know my anxious thoughts see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way he wants his heart to be right with god he wants to be sure that even in these dark moments this all this emotion that he is having that god is leading him and here the theme is transform me transform me david comes before his all-knowing ever-present, loving God, and speaks this vulnerable, submissive prayer. Search me. Know me. Test me. Lead me. Friends, there's freedom in God's knowing of us and in his presence with us, and that is what will transform us. May our prayer be, Lord, search me, know me, test me, and lead me. I started today with a story about my granddaughter, Nora, who was hiding, and I was frantic because I couldn't find her, right? She didn't know that I was worried. She knew that I was close by, and she could hear my voice, and she delighted in my searching for her. After lots of and hugs and snuggles, though, when I found her, I did tell her the rules about hide-and-seek, that, hey, listen, when Grandma's calling her name, I need you to answer if you hear me calling. Now, this is how Nora hides. Here's an ottoman in our family room. And she'll say, hi, Grandma, hide. And in my presence, she'll go hide under the ottoman. And she'll wait for me to count to 10. And I walk around the house. Where's Nora? Is she in this room? Is she in that room? And I, I think this is a much clearer picture of really how it is with God. This is We may think that we're hiding. But you know what? He sees us. And he doesn't stop calling our name. He knows right where we are he wants us to find him, to hear him calling our name. Sometimes we may want to hide. We may feel shame, regret, fear, anger, frustration, disappointment with God himself. We may walk away. We may shut the door thinking that we have left him. But even if we want to hide in fear, shame, anger, disappointment, doubt, God's presence is always with us. Nothing can separate us. He's calling your name. He already knows your heart. And He loves you. And He's pursuing you. He's waiting for us to recognize, oh, He's here. He's here in this pain. He's here in this sorrow. And He's weeping with me. He's sad with me. He's suffering with me. He wants us to talk to Him like David did. Search me, God. Know me. Try me. Test me. And lead me. This is God's invitation for you and I, right? He invites us to this beauty, this freedom of intimate relationship with him. He wants us to receive joy and comfort in his love and in his presence. He wants us to receive this gift that Jesus has already taken on, the judgment for our sin. This is how God wants us to imagine and see him. And that's when real transformation starts to begin, like David. Maybe you need some undoing. Maybe you need some healing from negative and inaccurate God images. Get into this place of joy and celebration of, God, this is so awesome that you know all this about me, and being fully known to this ever-present God. You know, this healing, it can be a journey this undoing, and it's not meant for you to journey alone, and for me to journey alone. God has given us himself through his word, like we've been diving into every Sunday morning. He gives himself to us through our community of people right here at Life Livonia and other friends and believers you know all around the world if this intimacy if this celebration over god rather than shame and fear if that's something that you want to experience let me encourage you in these things i want to encourage you to keep coming to church just keep learning god's okay with however long it takes for you to find him and hear him calling your name i'd encourage you to read the bible you could read the psalms we have been studying this summer or maybe read Matthew Mark Luke or John in the New Testament. That's the first four books in the New Testament that all talk about the life of Jesus and You can get to know him just by reading those books I'd encourage you to join a fall a small group this fall and we launch those pretty soon. They're coming watch for information on that um, But this is what I would say When you join a small group, don't just be present You can be present and miss all that God wants for you. I would encourage you be honest Share your thoughts. Share your doubts. Share your questions. Share your fears. Share your concerns. Allow people to walk alongside you. People who love Jesus to say, yeah, that's okay to feel like that. Yeah, I've had those questions too. Yep, that doubt makes sense. Let's see what God would have to say to us about that. And let, let yourself experience the truth of who God is over the lies of who we may believe he is. And lastly, I want to encourage you to talk to one of our pastors and our leaders. Let them walk with you. They can give you support. They can give you resources that can bring healing to these broken images of God that we have that keep us from rejoicing in his love and in his presence and replace them with joy and delight in being fully known. Would you pray with me? Maybe there's some of you here this morning that are listening that have never received this beautiful gift of God's love over judgment. And would you pray with me, Jesus? I just ask that um, you remove the barriers in my life that have kept me from receiving this beautiful gift of this deep knowing, this beautiful acceptance, this long suffering love, Lord, that keeps pursuing me. I see you, Lord. I see you pursuing me, and I want to say yes. Yes, Lord, I'm saying yes to you today because I want to follow you. And Lord, for those who may have been struggling, uh, who know know you, Jesus, and have been struggling to um, find you and rejoice and celebrate in you, Lord, I pray that whatever the barriers are, God, that are keeping them from trusting you, and receiving your love so fully, God, please show up to them. Please show yourself to them. Please encourage them. Please help them, Lord, to open their hands like David and say, Search me, God. Know me. Test me. Lead me, Lord. And I know you will do that because you, God, are faithful. And Lord, for those of us who are experiencing your presence and your love with so much gratitude and joy. Lord, we're so grateful. We're so grateful for your enduring presence, for your intimate knowledge of our hearts and our minds and our spirits. And we believe, God, that there's peace and there's freedom in that relationship with you. May the truth of your love and your presence And your deep knowledge of us, may they bring freedom and not fear. May it bring hope and not shame. May we have this childlike heart, Lord, just like Nora, to believe that you always pursue us with love, that you are calling our name, and that your love, Lord, brings safety. And Lord, may we, like David, humbly and confidently say, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me know my anxious thoughts see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me lord in the way everlasting amen amen thank you friends for being with us today i hope that god is working his way in to helping you rejoice and celebrate in his love if you made a commitment to christ this morning or if you've recommitted your life to christ or even if you have questions Can I ask you to please um, fill out the online card in our digital bulletin that will let us connect with you and support you and provide resources for you. Uh, You are not meant to walk this life alone. God has called us together. I just want to encourage you to invite us into that with you and let us walk alongside you. May God bless you and may you feel his peace and his presence and his joy this week.